Hello, welcome to Time Personified. If this is your first time listening, my name is Francesca Mamlin, and I am an astrologer, and I am the host of this podcast, and I am thrilled to be sitting here recording this episode because I am back from a very long and very necessary break. I was taking some time, first of all, to really process of the events of the world and fully experience events that were happening in my personal life and also to reorient myself with the mission and the vision of this project. Time Personified is something, it's a project that's very close to my heart and it's something that I thought about and dreamt about for all a year, really, uh, maybe a little more than a year before I ever created the first episode, before I ever did any, any practical things to make it a reality. And this project is something that I see as being a long-term fixture in my life and something that I will be working on for years. I love podcasting. I love astrology. And so I take this project very seriously, which is why I took a break to really make sure that I was producing the content that I wanted to produce. And I am making my comeback with an episode dedicating to honoring the fall equinox, or as um, some pagan communities may call it, Mabon. And so we're starting with this episode about Mabon, and then I have some really incredible content coming your way in the next few weeks and in the fall. One of the things that I really want to do with this project moving forward is I want to bring more voices into this podcast other than just mine. I want this to be a more interview-based podcast. Um, So I'll be releasing episodes at least every full and new moon, and I will usually have guests on those shows. And I also intend to do an episode on the first day of each Zodiac season. So this is the first day of Libra season. The next one that I'll, the next solo episode I'll do is the first day of Scorpio season. Um, And these will usually be solos. There might be a portion of the episode where I have a guest come in, but it'll be my check-in with you guys. And then ultimately, I just want to bring more people onto the show. And to give you some more um, transparency, the vision that I have for Time Personified is that I want to be able to have anybody come on this show. It doesn't have to be somebody who's spiritual. It doesn't have to be somebody who's into astrology. No matter who you are, you can sit down and you can discuss the themes of astrology, the themes of the moment, because these themes, astrology is really just describing the human experience. And so we all have access to leading and participating in these conversations. It's not just about an astrologer sitting here and telling you, this is what's happening in this moment. These are the themes that are coming up. And that's not what I want this podcast to be. I want to use my expertise and my knowledge as an astrologer to really analyze the the planets and analyze the conversations that they're pushing us to have and then i want to actually come out and have those conversations with people who are doing lots of different things in the world so that is what you have to look forward to uh 
in the future of this podcast and I hope that it makes you excited for, for, uh, to listen to future episodes. Um, and yeah, so that's what you, that's, what's coming down the pipeline for me. That's the vision that I have for my project. And let's get into what we have to talk about today. Before I get into the episode, um, there's one more like preface thing that I want to talk about. I would like to acknowledge the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I found out about her death just as I had completed the outline for this episode and I had to sit down and add a little portion of this episode to dedicate to her because she was an extremely important feminist icon and a champion for women's rights and she had such a groundbreaking career in the law and she left us on September 18th just a few days before Libra season which Libra rules over the law. She was 87 years old and her time on this planet really embodied some of the Libra themes that we're going to be exploring today. So first of all, like I said, she worked in the law, uh, which is very connected to Libra. And she was working towards building a world where there is a balance between the genders, which Libra is Libra teaches us about balance and particularly the balance between the masculine and the feminine. And she dreamed of a world where gender roles don't exist. So she did fight for women's rights and she also fought for men uh, because as, as you may know, as you probably know, the patriarchy hurts both men and women and any other gender that you could possibly be you're harmed by the patriarchy. It is a system of oppression and systems of oppression oppress some more than others, but everybody is ultimately oppressed and she understood that. She famously took on a case where uh, a man had lost his wife and he was suing to receive benefits as a widower uh, because women receive certain benefits when they become widows if they lose their partner. And he was a single dad, and he needed to receive those benefits in order to care for his child, in order to stay home with his child. And she went to court for him. She fought for him. And so she fought for men and women equally. And so the time of her birth is unknown, uh, but she was born on March 15th, 1933. So I don't know her rising sign, but she was a Pisces sun and a Scorpio moon. So she was very watery. She was a compassionate visionary, and she had this Aries Mercury, which made her this trailblazing, forward-thinking, fiery communicator. And the day that she died, which was September 18th, 2020, I don't know what time she died. I was unable to find that through some simple Google searching. But the day that she died, Chiron was conjunct her Mercury in Aries. Chiron is the bridge into the higher realms. And I think this aspect in her death chart is an invitation to us, those that she leaves behind, to take on her ideas, her words, and her legacy and continue her very important work. We only get so long on this planet and Ruth got more time than most do and her work is still not finished. Everyone who takes on the burden and the honor of fighting for a better world, they have to know that they're gonna die without seeing the benefits of their work. 
Many suffragettes, most suffragettes never got to vote themselves. Many civil rights activists in the 60s never got to benefit from the legislation that resulted from that movement. Uh, many who fought for marriage equality never really got to get married themselves. Any, any moment in history that you can point to with progress, there are people that fought for it that didn't get to see the fruits of their labor. And that is an opportunity for us, those who are alive on this planet now, benefiting from the progress of history. Uh, especially if you belong to a group where a lot of action and a lot of fighting had to be taken in order for you to have your rights, we can take a moment to honor the progress that was made by those who came before us. As a woman, I, every day I remember that I stand on the shoulders of some incredibly brave women um, and men, but women who fought tooth and nail for me to have the opportunities that I have today. And there's still a, a very long way to go, uh, but I benefit from a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And I can apply that too as you know my status as an American. There are a lot of people that risked their lives in order for future generations to have a better life in America. There's still a long way to go, but there was a lot of fight that went into the the reality that we have now and we can honor those that came before us and the fact that they were able to selflessly fight for us even though they may never have met us never have seen the lives that we were going to live and we can use that as motivation to fight for the future generations because that's just what we do on this planet we we work to build a better world so that we can, ourselves can benefit for some, from some of it, but so that ultimately the world can enjoy a better future. And Libra season is a great time for us to envision a future with more justice, more peace, more love. So with that being said, um, a deep bow to the life and work of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and let's move on into the actual episode. This is the moment. These are our lives. And we gotta fight for what we believe. Believe in what's right. We are alive, alive, alive. This is our time. This is our time. The first half of the Zodiac that is the signs Aries through Virgo, is about discovering and encountering the self. And the second half is about discovering and encountering and coming into relationship with the other. Libra is that moment in the journey that the sun makes around the zodiac every year. Libra is that moment when we encounter the other and we bring awareness to what is outside of ourselves. And Libra season begins with the autumn equinox. It is a descent into darkness if you are in the northern hemisphere. If you are in the southern hemisphere, then Libra season begins with a spring forward into the light. The equinox, the equinoxes, both of them, are moments in where the day and the night are exactly equal. And every day after the autumn equinox, the nights get longer and longer gradually until we get to the winter solstice, which is the longest night of the year. And that again applies if you are in the Northern Hemisphere. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere, then it is opposite of what I am saying. 
And we can all feel into the archetypes of Persephone and Demeter from the ancient Greek pantheon during this time of year. The story of uh, Persephone and Demeter is that Persephone was kidnapped by Hades and taken into the underworld. Uh, Hades in Greek mythology is the lord of the underworld. Um, so he takes Persephone down to the underworld against her will <laughs> to make her his bride. He wants to marry her. Um, and the, the fullness of the story is that he strikes a deal with Zeus, I think. And Zeus gives permission for him to do that. So then he, he emerges from the ground and grabs her and like takes her. It's kind of a traumatic, violent story in a way. Um, but the story of Persephone in Hades teaches us about the work we do when we enter into intimate relationships. Um, now, the relationship between Persephone and Hades is, you know, I would say that you can't take Greek mythology literally because this relationship was not something that Persephone <laughs> really consented to. Um, and I would hope that those of us entering into intimate relationships, any relationship is willing and consenting to do so. If you are not, then that is a problem. Um, and you shouldn't emulate that part of the story. Um, but what I think, it, you, I mean, you have to look at Greek mythology as these are archetypes and these are representing of the human experience. And so I think the kidnapping of Persephone is just representing of the element of surprise. Because when we enter into deep relationships, there is this shadow within ourselves that we encounter. And we can only encounter this element of our shadow when we're sharing ourselves completely with another person. And Libra, the sign of relationships, leads directly into Scorpio. Scorpio comes after Libra season, uh, and Scorpio is the sign that teaches us about shadow, about entanglement, and it teaches us how to encounter and transmute the depths of ourselves. And we'll obviously be exploring a lot of Scorpio themes next season, but I think you really can't talk about Libra without also talking about Scorpio. These are two signs in the zodiac that are, in my opinion, um, at the point that I'm at with my astrology practice, these signs are more deeply entangled than any two signs I know of. Uh, even the constellations in the sky are entangled with one another. Libra and Scorpio are basically like one constellation. And it's because when you enter into relationships, when you encounter the other, the shadow emerges. So that's Persephone's journey, is that she enters into relationship with Hades and she goes into the underworld, literally. She goes into the shadow. And you can't reflect on Persephone's journey without also reflecting on the journey of Demeter, her mother. So when Persephone is taken by Hades, Demeter becomes distraught over losing her daughter. And Demeter is the goddess of fertility and abundance. So her depression, um, everything on earth dies. Uh, the earth gets cold, the crops die, the world freezes over and it descends into darkness. And Zeus looks down at the world and he's like, oh no, what's happening? Um, and he sees that Demeter is just, you know, beside herself that she lost her daughter. 
and he starts to get concerned. So he sends Hermes, which Hermes is the Greek name for Mercury, the messenger god, to retrieve Persephone from the underworld and return her to her mother. But there is a complication. When Persephone was in the underworld, Hades tricked her. He, well, I mean, in some versions of the myth, he tricks her. In some versions of the myth, it is something that she does intentionally. And, you know, you can choose whichever version works best for you when you're working with this story. But Persephone eats a pomegranate seed when she's in the underworld with Hades. And if you eat something when you're in the underworld, you cannot return. And so Zeus has to strike a deal with Hades. And they come up with Persephone will spend half of the year in the underworld with with her husband, Hades, and then half of the year uh, above in the world, <laughs> like above, out of the underworld with her mother in the realm of the gods and on earth with Demeter. And so every year on the autumn equinox, Persephone has to return to the underworld and be with her husband. And every year Demeter falls into her depression and everything starts to die and darkness begins to descend. And then the spring equinox is when Persephone returns and the world starts to come back to life. So this is the story that the Greeks used to explain um, the seasons. The story goes beyond just explaining the seasons. The story of Persephone and Demeter is really an exploration of the stages of life and particularly, specifically, the stages of womanhood. So for those of you who are not familiar, the, the feminine journey, the, life, the lifelong feminine journey has three distinct phases, uh, and those phases are maiden, mother, and crone. And now I, everyone has a feminine side, uh, so this doesn't really matter what gender you are, and that feminine side that you embody will pass through these three stages in some way. And also everyone has a masculine side. And so everybody goes through the hero's journey in their lifetime, which I'm sure we'll find a time and a place on this podcast to talk about the hero's journey, especially since Mars is currently retrograde. So we do have a lot to discuss there, but uh, to focus on the feminine journey, uh, you know, depending on what gender you identify as, this journey might be subtle or obvious or something in between. And I know that the wording used here can be a little bit triggering, uh, especially, yeah, the wording is very triggering. The names of these cycles, Maiden Mother Crone, can feel a bit patriarchal in origin. And I think that if you're feeling that, I think you are correct. Uh, I think that maybe we need to come together as a collective uh, to come up with better words for these stages. I'm going to use the words that I have in the moment. There are people that uh, are way more fluent and knowledgeable about these phases than I am, so I'm just sharing what I know and yeah, take what you find helpful. So maidenhood is basically the youth. It's when you are individuating, it's when you're discovering who you are, it's 
it's basically the moment of your life, the time in your life when you are a child or a young adult. It's when you get to be selfish. It's when you get to think about yourself and basically like your main task during maidenhood is figuring out who the hell you are. And that's really all I have to say about it. It's, it's very simple <laughs> to me. Uh, the point that gets sort of difficult is that first transition. It's when you start to move into the motherhood phase. And now this can happen at any age. Some people get initiated into the motherhood phase very young, and some people experience this initiation later in life. And I'm not talking about actual motherhood. I want to be very clear about that. For some people, the motherhood phase is initiated by actually becoming a parent, but it does not have to be that at all because parenthood is not for everybody. It's not a part of everybody's journey. And I deeply acknowledge that. I am somebody who is not on a path leading to parenthood myself. Um, so I understand that, you know, the, yeah, it, it can be confusing. Entering the motherhood phase is not about actually becoming a parent. What it does mean is it's the point in your life when things aren't just all about you anymore. And it usually begins with some kind of initiation process. It can be a painful initiation or it can be a very exciting experience. Um, the motherhood phase can begin with you finding your purpose or starting a business. It could be you meeting your life partner. It, there's literally so many different ways that you can be initiated into the motherhood phase. And it can also happen more than once within your lifetime. Uh, so it's impossible for me to sit here and, and list out every possible experience connected to this. So you need to just feel into your own life story and feel into whether or not this might've happened for you yet. And what, that was for you because everyone is so different and you can use astrology as a tool here to sort of begin to reflect on it if you are older than the age of 30 then you've experienced your saturn return so if you go back to the years that you were age 28 to 30 there may have been some sort of initiation experience there connected to your saturn return there's also the chiron return which happens in your 50s and in your early 20s, uh, you have a Chiron opposition, which can be experienced as an initiation. That was certainly my experience with the Chiron opposition when I was in my early 20s. So yeah, everybody is a little bit different, but the motherhood phase is that it's kind of when you encounter that Libra archetype of, okay, I've been figuring out who I am and what my life is all this time, and now I need to look outside of myself. And then after the mother phase comes the crone phase. And now as a 25 year old, I feel very, very unqualified to speak to the crone phase because it's, it's something that I have not even touched yet in my own life experience. But I can try uh, as somebody who has the archetypal language of astrology behind me and some reflection, I can try. The crone phase is the point where you have lived 
enough life that you become a wise one. And I think maybe it's the moment after your second Saturn return, if I'm going to put astrology to this. Again, you can move through the phases at any pace. You could become a crone when you're 30 years old, if that is your life's journey. Uh, I think that if I'm going to put astrology to this, maybe the second Saturn return in your 60s is when, or maybe even the Chiron return in your 50s is when you start to encounter this archetype of the crone in your life. And it's the point where you are ready to pass on your wisdom, pass on your legacy to the next generations. It's when you're preparing the people who are, are going to be here when you're gone. You're preparing them to carry on the work that you found very important in this lifetime. And as a society, especially in Western society, I actually live in Asia and the, the, it's a very, the way that they treat older people in Asia is very, very different. But I come from a Western society, I am American, so I can, I can speak to that experience. And we do not treat our elderly with a lot of respect. In Western capitalist, imperialist society, the mindset that we often come from is that if you're old and you can't work and you can't produce things, you're not worthy anymore. And even though we might not consciously believe this, like we still live in a society that has basically puts this narrative in our DNA, which is why people in Western societies have this deep fear of aging and this fear of time passing and of losing our youth because we're taught that youth is when we're valuable and old age is when we are no longer valuable. And one of the biggest gifts that astrology can bring us is teaching us that that is just such bullshit. We kind of cast older people off to the side. We lock them. Well, we don't lock them up. <laughs> we, we put, I mean, they're kind of locked up now because of the coronavirus. Um, but we put them into retirement communities and we, we sort of cast them out of society in a way. And the, the truth is that elderly people, people who have lived a lot of time on this planet are extremely valuable and we should be listening to them. We should be asking them questions. And we should work to build a society where people no longer fear old age. And I think this comes with building a deeper understanding of the crone phase. And that's what I have to say about the crone now. Maybe at some point in the, the journey of this podcast, I'll bring somebody on that can speak more to this. But that's what I have to offer you at this moment. So what, so the kidnapping of Persephone, the story of Persephone and Demeter, when Persephone is taken to the underworld, this is the moment when Persephone goes from maiden to mother. She goes from being just, I think she's the goddess of like beauty and love or whatever. um, And she goes to being, she transitions to being the wife of Hades. And she has a very important role that she plays in the underworld, which is reflected in other Greek myths. And Demeter moves from the mother phase to the crone phase. This myth is about the initiation into a new cycle of life. And the story that this myth ultimately teaches us 
I mean, there's a lot of stories, like I was saying before, there's a lot of stories that can be explored around coming into relationship with people and entanglement with other people. But the, I think the main theme that I take from it is that it teaches us about the pain that comes with change. And with that, we can reflect on the necessity of ritual. It is my belief that ritual is one of the most important things that we can do for our psychological health. I know that's a really big statement to make, but I really stand by it and I really believe it. And especially, this is especially true during times of change. We do rituals in order to process change. That's literally why we do rituals. And now, again, we live in this very capitalist world and we are given a very distorted view of what ritual is. Uh, I remember when I was living in Thailand, I, I, this was before I ever publicly declared myself an astrologer. It was just something that I was exploring in a very private way. And I decided when I was living in Chiang Mai that I was going to lead moon circles. I was going to lead rituals honoring each new and full moon. And it started with just being something that I shared with my friends. And then it turned into something that I was sharing with larger and larger groups. And it was interesting, some of the responses that I would get from people or reactions that I would get from people who didn't really understand what ritual is. I remember somebody asking me if we were going to be like howling at the moon. I've had people ask me if we were going to like cut ourselves and like bleed into the earth. And like people have, we're taught to fear ritual. And the truth is that ritual is this very deeply human thing that we all feel drawn to do. It is a very ingrained part of our nature. Ritual is just consciously doing something to process change. One of the main examples of ritual that still lives in mainstream society is that when we commit to a life partner, we have a wedding. Another one is that when someone we love dies, we have a funeral. These are things that we do to process change, to present, in some cases, to present a new identity of ourselves to our loved ones, or to process an event that happened to us and come to terms with a new reality. This is what ritual is for. And the thing about capitalism is that capitalism has to monetize and own everything. Capitalism thrives by taking away your power and your agency. So one thing that it has done is it has monetized this need for us to engage with ritual, which is why look at look at how disgustingly huge the wedding industry is. And when people lose their loved ones, they have to spend like thousands of dollars on a coffin and a funeral service. And it, I, this is something that I get very passionate about um, and I can go on and on about it, but I think you get the point. Capitalism has monetized our need to ritual, need to ritualize. And when we 
when it can't monetize our innate urge to ritualize, it suppresses it. And because as long as we are unable to process change on our own and to take ownership of our own psychological and spiritual health, then we have this void within ourselves that we will then fill by engaging in capitalist behaviors like consumerism. Um, yeah, like that benefits people, that benefits capitalism. So one of the most important contributions I think I can make to this world as an astrologer, and I'm not the only one doing this, a lot of astrologers are doing this, I want to connect people, or rather, I want to reconnect people with the power of ritual. So we can work with ritual as a tool to navigate change within our own lives, to either process change or to incite change, put out intentions for change. We could also use ritual as a tool for revolution. A few months ago, I did an episode with Sarah Lyons, who is the author of Revolutionary Witchcraft, and we talked about how ritual can be used as a tool for civil disobedience, and she cites some examples of it being used throughout history in her book as, as protest. And so we recorded this interview back in February, so it's kind of funny listening back to it because we were living in a completely different world back in February, but if you feel compelled, I still think that the conversation we had is a great one to go back and listen to today, especially if you are feeling compelled or activated by this conversation about ritual. I think that that episode would be a really great way to continue to explore that. Um, 2020 has been one of the most overwhelming years I've ever experienced, like on an individual level and on a collective level. And I have found myself with this really deep desire to do my part to be a force of good through all of this. And for months, I have not really been sure what I can really offer the world at this moment. I mean, come on, I'm an astrologer. <laughs> and there are people being murdered by the police. There are people losing their jobs and being trapped in their homes because of a pandemic. There are people dying because of a pandemic. Um, the United States is on fire. <laughs> There's an election coming up. And it may be one of the most important elections in the history of our country. And it's very easy to get overwhelmed. I'm probably stressing you out by listing all of this stuff. I'm stressing myself out. Uh, one of the things that I can be certain of, um, actually the only thing I can be certain of right now, is that the world is changing. The world is literally always changing, like change is the only constant, but right now in this moment, there is an incredible amount of change. And, well, when there is change, then there is a need for ritual. So I can offer a ritual to help us navigate this change. Um, so the rest of this podcast episode is actually going to be a very simple ritual. Uh, you can follow along with me. I have things in front of me. I have crystals in front of me. I have uh, my tarot cards in front of me. I have an apple in front of me, which is a symbol of 
Venus in the feminine, I wanted to have a pomegranate in front of me to honor Persephone, but I do live in Southeast Asia, so there is a limit to the, um, to the produce I'm able to attain. And that's just, that's my point right there, is you don't need to have anything in front of you. You just need yourself. If you have a candle, if you have some incense, if you have some tarot or oracle cards, feel free to put it out, feel free to have those, you don't have to. Um, I might suggest that you have a notebook. Um, I think that's something that, or, or not even, I won't even get that complicated. A piece of paper. <laughs> I think that's something that most people can attain quite easily and a writing utensil. Um, but rituals don't require tools. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you need all of these tools in order to engage with ritual. All you will ever need is, is yourself. Uh, you, and that's another thing that I'll go back to Sarah Lyons and her book, Revolutionary Witchcraft. That's one of the main points that the book need, makes is that you do not need to have anything in order to engage with ritual or to engage with like witchcraft or any kind of spiritual practice. You just need yourself and your energy, and that's that. So I'm going to offer you a ritual to honor the fall equinox and to work with the energy of the moment. This is my story, raised in a small town trying to burn out in glory. This world that was my surrounding My heart screamed out for So like I said, I have a little bit of a setup in front of me. I have my favorite crystals in front of me. I have uh, an apple that is, you know, a little bit of a nod to Venus. If you cut, just in, in case you don't know why I keep saying I have an apple in front of me, if you cut the top off of an apple, inside you find a pentacle, and Venus's uh, path through the zodiac, if you track the Venus cycles, she makes a pentacle in the sky. So the apple is a connection to Venus, which is the ruling planet of Libra. That's why I have an apple in front of me. And then I also have, I've laid out tarot cards that I associate with Libra season and the fall equinox. And you can pull out these tarot cards in your deck if you have your own tarot deck or you can Google pictures of them, or you can go to the show notes of this podcast, and I will have photos of my tarot cards posted in the show notes. I use the Robinwood deck. It's very similar to the Rider Waite deck, but the artwork is just slightly different. So that's what I work with, in case you were wondering, and that's what I have in front of me right now. So let me just talk about the tarot cards that I have in front of me in this moment. First, I have the Justice card. 
justice is the 11th card in the major arcana and it is the ruling card for libra every card in the major arcana is connected to either a zodiac sign or a planet and justice is libra's card and justice teaches us about balance about purpose and about aligning ourselves with a higher vision for ourselves and for the world it is so just like libra season is the moment in the journey of the zodiac where you um, consider your impact the impact of your life on the other when you encounter the other justice is the very center of the major arcana and in this i mean i'm going to have a little caveat here because some people uh, some people reverse the positions of strength and justice in the major arcana and they make justice the eighth card and strength the 11th card if you have no idea what i'm talking about do not worry i just want to acknowledge anyone who has a different tarot practice than me um, but if that made no sense to you you're good don't worry um, yeah but justice is that moment in the journey through the major arcana when we consider the impact our life has on the planet and now and now i want to reflect on the fact that we live in a very individualistic capitalist patriarchal world rooted in white supremacy and this mindset that we have in the western world um, particularly of individualism it has long overstayed its time on this planet so we all need to really root ourselves in the justice card right now we need to think about the impact our lives have on the world and are we making choices that are actually in alignment with our values actually in alignment with the vision that we have for the world and i'm not trying to like call you out because none of us are perfect but like when we think about the issue of environmentalism what are the things that you do every day that harm the planet it might be difficult to reflect on that because i would imagine we if you're listening to this podcast episode you're somebody who loves the planet um but really look within yourself and think about that and a conversation that's really prevalent right now is challenging how each of us especially if you happen to be white how do we each embody white supremacy and patriarchy and how do we benefit from those systems that are oppressing others um, justice really challenges us to have those hard conversations with ourselves and because Libra is connected to Venus, I think that we have to root ourselves in compassion because we were born into a world that has these systems and these systems were put into our DNA, put into our nervous systems without our permission. So if there are things that we're doing that are harming others, you know, don't, don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> like we all do it, we all, none of us are perfect. And it's just about deciding how we're going to move forward from here and how we're going to, whenever we can, whenever we have the privilege to do so, make choices that are actually in alignment with our values. And that's the, the, that's the conversation that justice is prompting us to have right now. The other card I have in front of me is the Empress, the third card in the Major Arcana. This is Venus's card. Venus is the ruler of Libra. Uh, the Empress teaches us that beauty and abundance is a natural state. We are all born to live in abundance. That is, our, that is our purpose. That is a life 
that has anything less than abundance is uh, there's some element of injustice or wrong happening there. And you know what? There are so many people in the world that are either barely surviving or they're severely deprived of the resources that they need in order to live. And with this card, I send intentions to heal the mass poverty on this planet. And I want to deeply acknowledge that there are more than enough resources on this planet to go around. And the fact that there are people in this world that don't have enough, it, it's not acceptable. And so I just want to send out intentions to heal the poverty, heal the poor distribution of resources on this planet, because it is not a natural thing. It is due to forces of capitalist and capitalist behavior and imperialistic behavior. And I, um, I hope that we can correct that in the coming years, um, starting now. So that's the Empress. The other card I have in front of me is the Hermit. This is Virgo's tarot card. And we just came from Virgo season. So I have this card out to honor the previous season. That's one thing that we do in ritual is we honor what has passed and then we look forward to the future. Um, we're moving out of a period of analyzing and processing. That's what Virgo season is for. So many of us have spent this month sort of making sense of what has passed this year. And now maybe we're in a place where we're ready to initiate a new cycle using this understanding of what has passed to move forward into the future. And I have the Knight of Swords in front of me. I'm going to be very brief with that, with these last two cards I have in front of me. The Knight of Swords is another tarot card connected with Libra. It is about pursuing a vision. It's about taking action, and it's about optimism. And then I have the I have the Tower in front of me, and I have it flipped upside down because I want to bring a little nod to the fact that we are experiencing a Mars retrograde at the moment. And Mars retrograde is not something that happens every year, so I want to keep that in our awareness. And we will discuss this more in a future podcast episode because there's a lot to be said about Mars retrograde. So these are the tarot cards that I have in front of me. And now I would like to invite you to join me in a visualization practice. This is kind of like a meditation with uh, visuals that I will guide you through. So if you would like to join me with that, I will invite you to close your eyes, take a few deep breaths. If you're in a place where you're able to close your eyes, then like go ahead and do that. If not, you can just sort of relax wherever you are in the world at the moment. And let's ground in for a minute. So I want you to imagine that you are standing on a mountain and you're looking down at the world. And I'm sort of channeling the imagery of the hermit in the tarot. So if you have a tarot practice and you know what the hermit card looks like, uh, the hermit is basically standing on a cliff and peering over the edge while holding a lantern. So if you want to imagine yourself sort of standing on a mountain, standing on a cliff, and just looking over the edge. And as you look over the edge, I want you to picture a scene of, a scene representing what you feel is wrong in the world. 
what is happening in the world right now that brings pain to your heart? And I know it probably isn't easy to picture this. It's probably not fun to picture this, but whatever emotions come up, just acknowledge them. Emotions can't actually hurt you. They're just trying to bring you messages. So whatever visuals you're seeing, whatever emotions you're feeling, just allow that to be right now. And I want you to sit with this for a moment. If you maybe have some paper nearby and it won't disturb your experience too much, maybe you can write down what it is you're seeing. Maybe that can help you sort of process a bit, or maybe you just sit and witness. Now, as you are witnessing whatever it is that you're witnessing, you realize that you have a sword in your hand. The sword is a symbol of your personal power. It is your ability to act, your ability to speak, and your ability to advocate. It is your ability to protect those who need protection. And you can use this sword to heal the injustices, the imbalances that are in front of you. So I want you to hold the sword in front of you and see the scene in front of you being healed. So take a moment to really engage with that visual. What's happening? What does it actually look like? And how does it make you feel to witness it? So now I'd like you to take a few deep breaths, come back to your body, come back to the space that you're in and ground yourself back into your reality. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So this visualization practice, it can be used to send healing energies to people and places that you care about. Uh, it can also be used to find what you feel really driven to fight for. Whatever scene you saw in the visualization, everybody is gonna see something a little bit different. And I want you to be aware that whatever it was that came up for you, there's a reason for it. And I can't tell you what that reason is, only you have that answer, but maybe it's because that's the cause that you're meant to be focusing on right now. So that's something that I kind of wanna communicate in this podcast episode because we live in a very, very overwhelming world at the moment. The world is, there's so much happening and it can get really easy to be overwhelmed when you're looking at all of the different issues to be dealt with. And we're meant to sort of distribute our labor a bit uh, collectively. Some people might feel called to solving one crisis and others might feel called to another one. And we need, we need to spread out and really cover all the bases here. And this is where I'd like to sort of end by talking about a book that I've been reading recently. It's a book that you can actually get for free online. It is very short, 
very simple and very powerful. It's a book called Building a Movement to End the New Jim Crow. And I will, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to where you can get that book. Again, it is free and it will take you a day to read it. Um, and I'd like to talk a bit about the first chapter of the book um, to sort of emphasize this theme of everyone has their own way to contribute to a movement. Not everyone has to be like out there protesting, boots on the ground, um, in the spotlight. There are a lot of different roles that need to be filled, and everyone also has their own issues that they're going to be focusing on at the moment. Um, ultimately, all of the issues are connected, and we need to acknowledge that, like, um, you know, police brutality and mass incarceration are, are connected, and uh, capitalism, environmentalism, patriarchy, white supremacy, all of this stuff is like connected in some way. Um, but we all kind of have our own areas of expertise and all of our own things that we're supposed to be connected with personally. Um, I promise you <laughs> that with your unique skill set, you have a place in this world that is perfect for you, where you are going to be part of the movement to build a better world. And so, so the first chapter of this book, Building a Movement to End the New Jim Crow, it's a very long title, um, so I'm sorry, I'm gonna be saying the title over and over and it's a very long title. Um, the first chapter of it talks about the different roles of movement. And so when I was reading it, there are four different main roles. And so as an astrologer, I naturally associated each of those four roles with one of the four elements. So maybe, this is just a suggestion, if you have um, an abundance of one element in your chart, or if you are, are a sun sign of a certain element, then that might indicate to you what role you fit into best. So for example, I'm an Aquarius. Aquarius is an air sign. And I feel very drawn to the advocate role, which we'll talk about all the different roles in a minute, because I like to educate myself and I like to educate other people and talk about the issues. Also though, I have a cancer moon, so I have a very watery moon. So sometimes I can fall into the helper role, which is about just helping those around you and opening your heart. Uh, so I recommend reading this book um, again, it's a very fast read and it is free, um, but I'm going to go through the four roles right now <laughs> and um, you can reflect on what role you might fit into and how this might influence uh, what you've learned about yourself in the visualization. So let me start by quoting the book. Um, there's this really powerful quote about movements that I would like to share with you. The author of the book, which I forget his name in the moment, um, he says that movements are forces of collective energy channeling deep emotions like anger and love and mobilized by hopes and dreams for large scale change. So to break that down, a movement is basically when a group of people decide to channel their deepest emotions and channel them towards a dream for something better. And I think that's really important because right now there are a lot of emotions. Um, we're all feeling a lot of emotions right now. And one of the things, and, and what we really need to be doing is 
allowing those emotions to allowing those emotions to be with us no matter how uncomfortable they are and harnessing them and channeling them towards building something better building a better future he makes some very important points about moments as well about mo- about movements i meant to say he makes four very important points about movements he said he talks about how movements do not happen fast history rarely records the buildup towards a movement. It just talks about the movement itself as if it just came out of nowhere and happened in an instant. Um, Studying history on a surface level, the way that most of us do in school, doesn't really help us to understand just how long it takes for things to build up towards a movement or actual change. So it's important to remember that movements do not happen fast. Movements are not built around one person. Again, history puts a lot of tension, puts a lot of attention onto a singular leader like Gandhi, like Martin Luther King, like Nelson Mandela. These are incredible people. But the truth is, movements are not built around one person. They're built around networks and communities. Right now, the North Node is in Gemini, and it's calling us to strengthen our local communities because that is where real change happens. I'm currently in a place where I am researching, I'm doing a lot of research about the issue of mass incarceration. And at some point, hopefully this season, hopefully Libra season, I'll have some sort of report. I wanna do like an astrological report on the history of mass incarceration in the United States and hopefully have something to say about it, something to kind of make sense of it. Um, But one thing that I'm really learning is that when we're talking about the criminal justice system, there are, criminal justice happens on a very local level. And when we're talking about how we can solve the issue of mass incarceration, we can talk about legislation that needs to be passed, but at the end of the day, it's about what local judges and local prosecutors are going to decide to do with that legislation. And I think that whatever issue we're talking about, whether it's mass incarceration, whether it is environmentalism, whether it is uh, feminism or um, LGBTQA plus rights, there, we, we put a lot of attention onto large scale things and um, big influential people. But at the end of the day, it's about what happens in local communities and what changes we're able to enact on a local level because that affects the day-to-day and that stuff is what ripples into larger change. So movements are not built around one person. Movements are not united ideologically. And now I think it's a problem that we live in this very polarized world. And I'm going to have a lot to say about that during um, Sagittarius season when we're exploring the Gemini Sagittarius eclipses, because I think one of the themes that come with those eclipses is polarization and misinformation, um, which that's not what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about the fact that when you have a movement of people who all have the same agenda, it's important to remember that everyone's gonna have their own values and ideological purity is not possible or necessary. It's okay if you disagree with people while you're still 
acting towards a common goal. And everybody having their own agenda, everyone having their own opinion and their own experience, that's just a part of working with groups of people. And so if a movement is not united ideologically, that shouldn't be seen as a failure. That should be seen as an opportunity to continue to challenge the vision that you're moving towards. And it shouldn't be something that we get discouraged about at all. Movements are not just the massive demonstrations. It's not just things like the March on Washington that makes a movement. Um, honestly, in the long run, those things are not really as effective as we think they are. Movements are about ongoing resistance. So compare the March on Washington with the Montgomery bus boycott. Which one of those things actually caused change? It was the bus boycott because it was ongoing resistance, ongoing pressure. You can make a big demonstration, but if you're not going to actually put pressure on power every single day until you see change, you're not going to see change. So again, I'm getting all of this information from the book. <laughs> I'm not like an expert in social justice. I'm just sharing this information because I'm honestly because I'm just a really good note taker. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just sharing what I'm learning from the book. Um, the four different roles that can be played in a movement. Um, I will name the role, I will name the element that I've associated with the role, and then I'll talk a little bit about what each role is. So first we have the helpers. And helpers I associated with the element of water. So if you are a Cancer, Scorpio, or Pisces, or if you have a lot of either of those signs in your chart, then this might be something you're drawn to. Helpers see an individual in need and they try to meet that need through directly serving them. They open their hearts, they respond personally, and they use the resources that they have. The shadow of helpers is that they can create cycles of dependency. And now I have a little bit of helper in me. I have a Cancer moon and one way that I can see the shadow emerge is that I like to give money to homeless people. And I think, I mean, like I could, I'm not like fluent in this issue of homelessness at all. So like, I can't really speak to how much or how little it really helps to give money to people who are begging on the streets. But when I see it and I have money in my wallet and it just does something to my heart and I want to help that person. And usually what I'm thinking is like, okay, I want this person to eat today. I want this person to get lunch. I want this person to just have their needs met now because right now their needs are not being met and I can do something to meet their needs in this moment. But it kind of goes back to, you know, teach a man to fish, or sorry, give a man a fish he eats for a day, teach a man to fish he eats for a lifetime. So I think the shadow here is that you don't want to create cycles of dependency. Um, it's nice to meet somebody's needs in the moment, but you also want to empower people and help people to ultimately help themselves. This is why going back to the issue of homelessness, you can have homeless shelters and soup kitchens uh, to meet people's needs in the moment, but those aren't really going to work towards solving the issue of homelessness. We also need to have organizations and have people out there that are going to help homeless people get off of the streets and 
housed and uh, functioning in their own lives and not depending on soup kitchens and homeless shelters. So again, I'm not fluent in this issue at all. So if I'm like saying things that are very incorrect, then I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm just trying to like provide a very easy example. So that's helpers. The next role is advocates, and I associate advocates with the element of air. So if you are a Gemini, Libra, or Aquarius, then you might feel drawn to this, uh, this role. Um, advocates, they see a need, they see systems that have resources to help, and they basically help people navigate systems, and they bend systems to provide every ounce of justice that they can. So an example of this is lawyers. Lawyers learn the law so that they can use the law to help people hopefully find justice. Um, they educate people. Uh, they bring awareness to the issues. They have conversations. The shadow of advocates, first of all, is that they can be a little bit too intellectual and conceptual and also that they can focus on the barriers and get trapped with this is what is wrong. And what advocates really need to work on doing is thinking creatively to re-envision the system, not just manipulate what's already there, not just talk about what's wrong. What is the vision that we can work towards? Because if you are somebody that has a lot of air in your chart, one of the gifts that you're bringing to this world is that you are a visionary. You have this ability to create a vision for the future. And we need that. We need you to be able to communicate that vision so that we can work towards it. The next role is organizers. I associate, I associate organizers with the element of earth. Organizers bring together those who are hurting to put pressure on the system. They build groups external to the system in order to enact change. And the shadow is that they're earth. These are earth people. They're very practical, so they can get maybe a little bit too pessimistic or controlling. This might be you if you are a Taurus, Virgo, or Capricorn. Uh, and organizers, in order to be successful in their role, they have to learn how to delegate, listen to others, think optimistically instead of just being too pessimistic, and um, empowering those around them. Really, the shadow can emerge with any of these roles when, when the person starts to take away the agency of those around them. So when helpers take away people's agency to help themselves, that's when the shadow emerges. When advocates focus on barriers, they take away people's agency by then you know, imposing those barriers on other people through stories. Organizers, the shadow emerges when they when they don't delegate and empower those around them, thus taking away people's agency. The last role is the rebels. And I associate this with the element of fire. So if you are an Aries, Leo, or Sagittarius, this might be your role. Rebels speak truth to power. They demonstrate publicly. They get people's attention, basically. They protest. The shadow is that they might lack tact or diplomacy and they also might lack a strategy of like what is it they're actually trying to accomplish by grabbing the microphone here. So it's best for rebels to actually work with people who embody other roles. 
um, work with advocates, work with organizers so that they can bring context to the bold actions of a rebel. Rebels are amazing. Rebels are brave. We need there to be rebels because we need to grab the microphone. We need to get the attention. But then once we have people's attention, we need to actually have context around what we're trying to do. So those are the four different roles. I've basically just summarized the first chapter of this book to you. So now all you have to do is read the second two chapters if you want to continue to explore activist work, uh, if that's something that you feel drawn to. And again, everyone has a role to play. Everyone has good to bring to this world. Uh, Wherever you are right now in your experience, I just want to remind you that you are valuable in this world and you are so, so loved and you are important. And I want to thank you for listening to this whole episode. If you got to this point, like I can't even tell you how grateful I am that you have shared your time and your energy with me so that I can share things that are very important to me and close to my heart. So sending you all of the love and all of the protection and Thank you for being on this journey with me. Have a great day. Let's pray, start a revolution. We'll change, treat each other like humans. No race, color, sector, crown can divide us now. Don't you see? You're not very different from me. Can't stop or won't stop. Feet in the fever, oh. Oh